0: Hey Tarek! Hi John. How's it going? That's good. We we flipped it up. Usually I start with Hi John. It's you know it's been a long weekend. I don't know you you have kids and now I have a kid and I realize that a three day weekend is kind of a mixed blessing.
1: Yes, yes. I I want to hear from you why you think so because I think I have the same thoughts. I mean, my head's exploding. It's it's Tuesday and I just want to go to sleep. I I feel so bad that I actually had a headache and I stayed home from work and I'm just starting to feel like good enough to think again. But, you know, I think one of the purposes of a weekend is to get some rest (laughs) and I'm more tired than I was before the weekend started.
0: This is, I think we're just not in on the, the actual goal of the weekend. Now the goal of the weekend is to do really awesome things like go and see animatronic dinosaurs. and. The butterfly exhibit, and uh, you know, have a blowout uh, at the coffee shop. Like that's what the weekend is for. Okay, so we're we're gonna we're gonna take that. We're gonna kind of put the weekend behind us.
1: (laughs) Yes, maybe we do a short episode. Yeah, I think
0: I think that would be good. I I I don't have a I don't have a big episode in me. Same. So okay, let's just say goodbye to the weekend. All right, bye weekend. Why don't we do a shorter episode about but something that's like really deep and and that I was thinking about all weekend. we We chatted about this briefly before we started, but I, I really want to dig into this question of accountability and responsibility. I hear a lot of designers saying they want more clear role definitions. I hear product managers saying that people need to be held accountable for things. I hear people saying the product manager needs to be held accountable for things. There's just a lot of talk about responsibility and accountability. And confuses me a bit. And so I I wouldn't mind digging into that.
1: Oh, there's just so much to say about accountability. One thing I'll start with, because I just love this word, is something I've heard recently at work, which is called an accountability. Have you heard? Have you heard that term? No. Is that a stuffed animal? It could be. We, we could pivot this podcast into selling stuffed animals. But what it actually is, is this idea that anytime you're trying to do something, start a new habit, you know, go to the gym more often, whatever it may be, if you have somebody who will hold you accountable to that, have a accountability, accountability, how how fast can you say that? No, um, it, it makes it much better. And so we started doing that on our design team where somebody wants, you know, um, to do something more, for example, we want to encourage our designers to post on Dribble, And so I would have an accountability buddy who would be like, hey, I'm holding you accountable to posting something about Amplitude on Dribbble or on Twitter so others know what it's like here.
0: What's interesting to me about that is it's uh, an agreement between people. It's an agreement. You know, I ask you, hey, I need you to hold me to this. And, and we're, in, we're, we're entering into that agreement as, as equals. What I find interesting is that when a lot of people talk about accountability, it's, it's in the frame of, oh my God, we need more accountability here. And I feel that that's a world apart from the type of accountability that you're talking about. When you have like a coworker, a friend, or, you know, you, you know, that you need someone to help you kind of get over the hump of a particular habit. And so I'm wondering, like, what, what do you feel about that? Like, how does how does we need more accountability here differ from the relationship you have with other designers?
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. Firstly, I love the voice you made when you said, we need more accountability. Like, that that was great. That sounded like some sort of, I don't know, war movie or something. <laughs> like, fire in the hole. we need more. Okay, so that was great. But secondly, I think both the things you mentioned have the same theme, which is, accountability to whom right and in the accountability buddies you're you're choosing somebody you're comfortable with i assume that you want to be held accountable to from the organizational level it's almost like well who gets the blame or who should we go to who's the point of contact who's the person that you know we hold accountable to so i think there's some themes around just assigning somebody that, you know, maybe it's because humans have a hard time having nuanced discussions, right? It's hard to have nuanced processes. And so maybe it's just in both scenarios, you need somebody to point the finger to so that you can start figuring out what's
0: going on. I mean, I would agree it's very human, but I don't hear a lot of people saying, oh me, oh me, I'm going to be the accountable one here. (laughs) Like, It's something that people often say in in that angry voice and that e- we need more accountability it often has to do with someone feeling kind of not trusted or that they're not in a trusting environment or not in a safe environment or they feel that people an acceptance of behavior in that environment which shouldn't be accepted so like when when a you know frontline designer or engineer says looking up at their organization says we need more accountability in this organization it's often because they feel that people get away with things or people like don't do something right and are not taking responsibility for that particular thing. And so I, I, I just find it interesting that there's, I do think there's a deep kind of human need there, but it, it has a lot to do with who is saying it and, and about what situation where the, where the devil's in the details.
1: The way you say it, it's almost as if, if there's a lack of responsibility, there's a higher need of accountability is that right so so you you're kind of proposing that because people have a lack of ownership or responsibility you need to have these almost like accountability principles set
0: Well, i, th- I think that that's the, the case i mean imagine you meet a stranger on the street and you're going to tra- transact some business well you often in that situation you, you know people fall back on contracts They fall back on, you know, the law says that if I do this, you're going to sell me your car, or they fall back on norms, or they fall back on any any types of proxies for a type of trusting relationship that we have. And in an organization too, I would back up what you're saying there, that when there's low trust, people often need much more rigid agreements and a rigid contractual relationships to... Proxy the trust; otherwise, the organization can't function. Whereas, when you have a team, you know, eight people in a room, let's say, like a healthy startup with a couple of co-founders and really early adopters, early employees, there, no one's running around and saying we need more accountability here. <laughs> and and if they are, there's probably so low there's there's low trust, and that startup won't last very long. It's just it, it's sink or swim at that point. I I think my point is that. Low levels of trust and low levels of accountability and low levels of ownership almost create an environment this cyclical dynamic that feeds in on itself, and it's never resolvable unless you resolve the core trust.
1: Ah, I see. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, and you talk to so many product teams, so this topic must be on top of mind for you. I guess the way I think about accountability, the first thing that comes to mind is kind of ownership around this idea of a, having a point of contact, right? Like the example you gave, I thought, was a really great one of a small founding team, right? You're not going to say, hey, you're accountable for this, right? Hey, you're accountable for the revenue because kind of the whole team is, right? Everyone's in it together. And sure, maybe some people are assigned tasks to do, uh, but overall, you know, the the, the company is going to sink uh, or float with everyone's efforts. So why is it that when the company gets bigger, you need more clearer accountability guidelines. And I think communication points of contact come here because you get so much further away that when you are reviewing the business, when you're so further away from you know the down the line person who's doing maybe some of the IC work, you need to kind of understand what's going on. And so when I think about accountability, absolutely assigning somebody maybe the blame for something is absolutely there. But I think the overarching thing is assigning somebody to be the point of contact, so when you are looking at something you're like why are why is this not working as well, or why is that not working as well? Well, let's start with you know the person managing it as as a point of contact. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I think one thing is it's important to ask the questions like why are things working <laughs> right so or why are things going so well? when I hear people talk about accountability and talk about you know having the single ringable neck. It's often under the premise that things are not working and that you need to have someone to talk to when it's not working. And I guess I can kind of understand that, but (laughs) with a lot of product development stuff, it's such a messy combination of very interesting skills that I think it's important to decouple. We need someone to talk to to understand how something is going, so someone can hold themselves responsible for being able to encapsulate, you know, the health of a particular effort. There's a difference between that and saying uh, we need we need to have someone to blame. And the, my, my challenge with we need to have someone to blame is that I often hear that a lot when there's a lot of blame being thrown around the room and things aren't very healthy in an organization. And to which I say, okay, great. Now you have someone to blame. <laughs> like, where has that gotten you now? Are you going to fire that person? <laughs> you know, are you, what are you going to do now that you have someone to point to? So I'm just contrasting that with, it seems like we, we always go to a place of when things aren't going well, we have someone to talk to. And I wonder why that is. Maybe, maybe that is just very human that people want that. But um, I don't always know whether it's the healthiest thing.
1: Yeah, I wonder if a lot of that comes down to wanting the sense of control where you want a sense of not controlling what people do but rather a sense of being in control that you know who who's doing stuff in your org and you know who's not and you know you can kind of point at something to know who to reach out to. Cuz I've seen, you know, I've been at companies at times where an executive's like, "Okay, who was in charge of this feature?" Because, you know, I got feedback on it or I used it myself, you know, I want to get to the root of it. And sometimes it's negative, but sometimes it is genuine where they're saying, hey, I want to understand this more. And so if someone came back to them and said, well, we don't really know who's working on that or who's in charge of that. It would give this, you know, almost crippling sense of lack of control. But if you look at some of the more higher performing teams, a lot of that decision-making is more fluid. So maybe it is just, you know, wanting the sense of control.
0: Yeah, I think control is one thing. I think that your, your discussion of lines of communication, you know, oh, so we can have someone to talk to about it, someone who understands the details about it, uh, someone who uh, is taking responsibility. You know, it's just, it's just good to know, at least for me, you know, when someone says, oh, you know, I'll, I'll handle that. They've kind of taken ownership of that. They've taken responsibility for that. And it's one thing less that I, in theory, need to worry about, right? Oh, you know, I trust that person. They're going to do it. I don't need to keep it in my mental, uh, you know, RAM (laughs) of all the different things that I need to do. So I can definitely see that from a navigating complex environment standpoint where, you, you know, having these kind of reassurances are important, I can see why it's good. The thing concerns me is that organizations are structuring themselves around, quote unquote, clear spheres of responsibility, clear spheres of accountability. And what that's doing is actually limiting the amount of interesting, collaborative, emergent creativity that could exist. And I see this a lot. I see this a lot when I see how a team is operating and I ask them, why are you, why are you working like that? Well, you know, r- you know, racy charts and in design got really angry, so they really advocated that we should own this particular phase, and then, and then we made this agreement with product that product will always pay attention over there, and design will always pay attention over there. And I'll say, well, well, that sounds interesting. How uh, how did it work out for the product? Is all this working? And then they'll say, wait, what what do you mean? I said, well, ostensibly you're doing all that to have a better product, right? To all feel more pride for your work and have more impact. And they look at me like, no, 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 no. The reason why we're doing all that is because we were angry and we needed to have clear roles and responsibilities so that, you know, we could go to work and we wouldn't fight all the time. (laughs) So I think that asking the question, are our working agreements actually helping the end product? Like what the company stands for is a a good thing to do.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I totally see what you mean from that perspective. I wonder if there's some analogy here to metrics, because when I think about setting metrics, I think about accountability, but kind of the way I'm saying it. Not that, you know, if, if a feature or a, or a set of features are launched to improve a metric and the metric doesn't rise, you know, the feature itself isn't necessarily, you know, garbage. It's not that we didn't get anything from the feature. It's more, that, it's more that users didn't react in the way that we expected. And that metric is a really great indicator for us to understand. And so, you know, metrics similarly can be used very poorly to kind of assign blame, to kind of say win or lose. But when I think about accountability, you know, sometimes I do think about metrics because it helps everybody have the same, you know, frame of reference, helps everyone understand what success is like, And it helps everybody, when done right, to start the conversation, right? As opposed to not knowing how you're doing at all. And so maybe there's a parallel here because it came up, you know, when you mentioned kind of the two ways to look at it, maybe a similar thing can be thought of for a lot of the ways we build product.
0: Yeah. I mean, one rule that I generally give people is anything good is probably really good at being abused too, (laughs) right like anything that's good enough to get people thinking about the right things and have the right conversations and 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 implies a level of trust and safety to be operable almost by definition means that if that trust and safety is missing that that thing can be viciously abused a great example here is that engineers make a cost benefit decision every 15 minutes. I think I remember reading a study about that. And they if the site goes down, they're the ones being paged at 1 a.m. at 3 a.m. If there's a big bug in production like, you know, they might even feel like they risk losing their job. I mean, hopefully that's not the case, but maybe they do. So when I talk to a lot of engineers and then they say, "Well, it's interesting" You know, our product manager talks about being accountable for these things, but I don't know there's so much success theater and they're able to spin every setback as a positive, and the PMs never talk to us about their decision quality. You know, they're always on to the next thing. I don't see that accountability there. And so I think it's really important that you can get you can get so focused on your particular area. Uh, that you as a product manager, especially that you you sort of maybe aren't aware how you come off. and I think that a lot of product managers come off as having big talk about accountability and outcomes and all that kind of stuff. but when when uh, the rubber hits the road, a lot of people would argue they're the first person to have a very good reason why nothing worked out <laughs> right So I think that, it all kind of boils down to trust and safety as as has come up in a number of these episodes. But you know, metrics frameworks are a great example that if they're triggering the right conversations and help people adapt and pivot correctly, great. If all they're doing is that when the news is good, everyone's bragging about them. And when the news is bad, it's always, oh, I don't know. I guess maybe, you know, on to the next thing, then that's another story.
1: Totally. Like you said, a lot of it comes down to trust and safety and the environment in which you operate, um, you know, to play devil's advocate here, what does the opposite look like? Let's say an organization without a toxic environment, one that has accountability, right? Mm. Right. And so let's say I'm a VP of product. We have four different products. Each product has, you know, three or four active feature groups that are being worked on. Um, you know, and I get a really angry email about a feature that's kind of, you know, lost as a client. So as a higher level product person, I'm trying to figure out, well, what happened? Why did we build this? Let me kind of unravel the layers. What does accountability look like there from what you've seen in kind of a good organization?
0: Well, I think that in a good organization, you do a blameless retrospective. You 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 assemble all the people who are involved and talk about it and you surface information, you surface observations, you reflect on decision quality. You reflect on more, you know, where you might have had more information that might have benefited uh the outcome as opposed to just saying uh well I know exactly who to to get on this. It's my, you know, senior PM Mary who must have dropped the ball on that and now I know. <laughs> You facilitate an environment that is is more is is more focused on learning from what happened versus ascribing blame, and that's what would happen in a healthier environment.
1: Okay, let, let's kind of play that through because I totally agree. Um, my experiences at Amplitude has been very much about that. You know, when things fail, people actually get—I wouldn't say more excited because we're not excited <laughs> when things fail—but uh, people certainly get more curious. Where when something succeeds, well, are like, all right, well, it did what we thought it would do. Um, You know, we we fulfilled the user request or, yeah, our intuitions were right. It's less interesting than when something goes wrong. You kind of dig deep and you're saying, well, what happened? And so, you know, people get more engaged in conversations. So, so I, I've definitely seen that healthy learning environment.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that the one thing that holds these examples together, the positive examples, is that... There was just this openness and people were willing to talk about those things. And if you think about accountability and responsibility too, on an even higher level, I would ask who is accountable for making sure the environment is healthy enough to be able to have a blameless (laughs) retrospective. It's kind of meta, right? Like accountability and responsibility for things, it it does feel very human. But often I liken it to the word promises instead, instead of even thinking about responsibilities or accountability, which is what promises are you making to the people around you? And and are you even in a position to be able to keep those promises and have you kept those promises? So if I say something like, I'm going to ship this thing by this date, that might not be a smart promise to make in product development, right? It might be the wrong promise. But if my promise to a team is, you know, I'm going to commit to make sure that if something hasn't worked out, we're going to have the safety to talk about it. Then that seems like a, a you know a pretty a pretty bold promise. But if it, if I could fulfill that promise to the team, that would have kind of high leverage. So I, I don't know if that helps, but I think about you know sometimes I get down, I get too in the weeds with very very minor differences between responsibility and accountability, and what's the difference, and and you know what happens at different levels of the organization often I have to simplify it with what promise am I making to the people around me? And can I keep that promise and have I kept that promise and how can I do better at keeping my promises?
1: Absolutely. There's a lot more to say here. We're going to wrap up the episode and let's try a a shorter episode because I think our episodes have been climbing in, in time. I think they started at 20 minutes and the last one was 45 minutes. And, um, I mean, I think people have still been listening, but, um, let, let's end it off there because I, I think we should revisit this topic, but we said a lot about it um, so far. And so, yeah, reach out to us on Twitter with any other topics you want to listen to, any follow-up questions. We'd love to answer them and kind of continue to dig at this. Uh, John, did you want to do something fun before we outro?
0: I hate to just jump this on you, but right. uh, Jess, my coworker, is making mm-hmm. a an amplitude cozy, which is, if you are not familiar, it's like a neoprene cover for a can, often beer, but it doesn't need to necessarily be beer. It's spelled cozy actually with a K and it might even be cozy. Okay. And so right. what, what I want you to do is to come up with, we want like a product related slogan on, on this item. And so I was wondering if you had any off the top of your head.
1: Okay, <laughs> just so I understand this. So Amplitude is making some sort of mug. Holder, mug,
0: like a beer can holder.
1: Yeah. I see. And it, and it keeps this, um, I'm assuming whether it's a warm or cold drink, it tries to maintain. It
0: maintains it, but it also gives you, like if you imagine like you're by the pool, right? Mm-hmm. Then it also gives you a way to hold on to it. Right. I like, see. You, you know, your grip, you might lose grip because, you know, it's obviously it's, it's the the hot summer, you know. I,
1: I like how this has become like peach taric beverages. I didn't, it's I like, didn't okay. know
0: it was called a koozie or a cozy or whatever either. Yeah. So it's, t- it's, each, okay. I mean, my, my parents didn't, you know, weren't from the United States either. So. I see. And, and just so I understand
1: it, cause I mean, I, I think I understand the culture of graphic teas. But the culture behind this is kind of like you would be holding this koozie and you're drinking it and somebody would walk by
0: and they would say, Ha ha. Yeah, yeah. you have to get a like so for example, yeah, you you know, like one idea I had was um, oh hey, it's on the roadmap. Or something. I mean that's kind of like a link, but you know, be like, ha ha. You see, I'm 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 boldly relaxing by the pool kind of thing. So and they should get that little like ha. This is more like, this is more just shining the mirror on how we've probably, oh, we're probably missing like a large swath of like cultural references.
1: <laughs> okay. How about something like, um, I'll file a JIRA ticket or something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's in the JIRA ticket. Or, or you know, like what you were, it's in the JIRA ticket. I like that. Yeah. Um, or, or kind of like you were saying with the backlog, um, uh, you know, it'll be in the
0: next sprint. Yeah. Oh, maybe the one to promote the relaxation could be like minimally viable product manager.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. Like I'm, it's kind of self-deprecating. Here the, I just yeah. here by the
0: pool, being the minimally yeah. viable product manager. Right.
1: Maybe. Or, or if people, you know, I'm a parent, so I don't, you know, uh, I don't do anything socially. But I imagine people who go to parties, maybe it's like minimal viable
0: party. Oh, like party of like, hey, here's the party right here. This is the minimally viable party. I'm here.
1: <laughs> we are, We have to be, at least me, probably the uncoolest, the uncoolest. person.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to share with Jess that, like, we'll... Okay. I know
1: on the internet, there's, like, this phrase, which is, like, hold my beer. Yeah. Have you heard this? I, so, yes, like, I you would use me. it as if, like, if you want to outdo somebody, mm-hmm. right? So, if somebody said... Um, uh i don't know like let's say usain bolt who's like a very fast runner right and if you're you know if your fastest running friend said hey look how fast i ran i guess the joke would be usain bolt would say hold my beer as in like you know hold my drink while i outdo this person right, right, or right, right, i you know right. do this thing right so maybe like something like hold my sprint or hold my backlog because i'm assuming the koozie is holding a beer i don't know or a drink
0: it's tough <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty bad. I maxed yeah. out my humor. Um,
1: yeah. Like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah.
0: At that point, I mean, I, I could see that. Like, hold.
1: <laughs> Have you seen my Edgar Allan Grow account? Have you seen that? No. So, I mean, every once in a while, I just need to do something weird. I think it's like in my personality. And so I made this Twitter account, which is called Edgar Allan Grow, like Edgar Allan Poe. And I post these, I don't even know if you can call them poems. Huh. But you could use uh, like like okay here's one. Wow. Okay. So so yeah, I'll, having- I'll post oh, this, okay. but it's like Luke. I am your winning
0: variant. Oh, that's that's really really good. Okay, Ed- Edgar oh, Allan okay. Grow.
1: Here's another one. To be or not to be. That is the experiment. And is it is it hashtag Edgar Allan Grow or so it's Edgar Allan Grow but, <laughs> but Grow is spelled G R O E.
0: This this is a real Twitter account. Yeah, you can go to... Edgar Allen. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So that, you know... Oh, yeah. Okay, I see it. And you've got a little, like, chart and stuff like that.
1: Right. They came, they saw, they churned. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, koozie worthy, but... Okay. I don't know if this will take out in the koozie Koozie economy. These are pretty funny, and so we
0: can... uh, I'll try to get that.
1: All right. Well, all right. All right. right, Talk to you soon. (laughs) <laughs> All right, take it.